Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk. Morning to those that are watching online. I hope that you have had a good week. Uh, I know our family. I appreciate you guys praying. Uh, many of you reached out to us. We had the, we we got chosen uh, to have COVID uh, in our home a few weeks back, and so we got to look at the walls for several days. And uh, people are like, "Hey, we're praying for you." I'm like, "Please pray that we don't kill each other and that we still love each other at the end of this." But no, we uh, we had we had. Uh, God was good, and we are done with all that. I took six COVID tests. I've stuck so many things up my nose up to this point, uh, and all of them came back negative, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, but we we're, want we're to continue to pray. Obviously, we've got a lot of people in our gathering uh, that aren't here today, obviously, and then just you guys know there's so many people around us that are hurting and that are just going through some stuff. And so it's good to be together as a church. And, and if you're watching online, uh, we, we miss you as well. We can't wait to see you back here uh, as well. Uh, in a couple weeks, before we dive into uh, our second to last message in Mark, I wanted to tell you about something. A couple weeks from now, we're going to have a, a very special Sunday. Hopefully every Sunday special. Uh, but we've got some really exciting things planned in two weeks, September 19th. Uh, we're going to be starting a brand new series called Relationship Goals, and this is probably the best time maybe all year to invite somebody to church because people are getting back into their kind of fall rhythms, Labor Day will be over with, and everybody is struggling or at least would like to be better in relationships. And so we're going to talk about, man, how do we have healthy relationships, whether we're dating, whether we're single, whether we're married, what it looks like to have healthy relationships and what part things like sex, money, communication, all those things, what all that, how that plays together to create a healthy relationship. So we're going to talk about that uh, starting on September 19th. So I want to encourage you to invite somebody to be here also that Sunday. And I, I, I might not even preach that Sunday because I may want to go over to this thing. They're going to have cereal Sunday over in City Kids. So I don't even know what that means. I'm guessing there's some sugary cereals that they're going to be partaking of, but they're going to have cereal Sunday. They've got some special things planned. And then that night, September 19th, we're going to have right back here uh, a worship night right here back at church on September 19th. So if you grew up going to church like I did back back in the day, you used to go to Sunday school, then you, you stayed for some worship service, then you went home and ate, and, and your mom and dad made you take a nap, and then they're like, get back up, get those khakis back on, buddy, because we're back to church. And it was Sunday night church. You know, we were at church. We basically had a room there we stayed in, uh, it seemed like. But we're, we don't have a Sunday night church, but on Sunday night, the 19th, we're going to have a special worship night. And so we want to invite you. And, and Luke will be here. 
And so he may be the only one, but he'll be here. Uh, so he'd love to have some other people here with us uh, as well. So a lot happening, never a better time to invite, and we're looking forward to a really good fall. We've got a lot of exciting things planned. Uh, this summer, as we start to kind of close down on the summer, like you guys, our family went on a little bit of a vacation, and I've, I've told you a little bit about it. Uh, we went, and most of our family uh, lives in the Alabama, Georgia region, and so if you're a college football fan, it was a really good weekend for my family uh, because all the teams they loved won. But but so we had that way, and we were we were over in in Alabama, and so we went. We spent a couple days with my mom and dad, and then what we did is we drove down to meet my brothers. Uh, at, a, at a little place on the Gulf Shores, and, and we were going to spend a week right there uh, on, the, on the beach and just had some good time. And so that trip usually takes three or four hours from my parents' house to where we were staying. But it, it took a lot longer because there was a lot of rain, and then there was a huge accident that closed down part of the highway. And so when we got to our hotel that night, and we were kind of settling in, we we sat down and we, we had this conversation, and, and you may be able to relate with this. We said, you know what? Hey, if we wouldn't have stopped to eat and we wouldn't have taken a little longer in the, you know, the length of time we did to let everybody go to the bathroom, we would have probably been in the middle of one of the worst accidents in the state's history. Because as we were traveling down there, the highway closed, but man, we were right on the front end. And so we began to kind of play this thing out like, man, if we wouldn't have taken just the time that we took and stopped off and went to the bathroom and got something to eat, man, we might have been in the middle of that. And you've probably at times in your life, you've maybe played out similar scenarios where you said, hey, man, if, if, if I wasn't late getting out of bed, I actually might have been in the middle of that accident. Or if I, I would have chosen one number differently, I would have won the contest. I was so close. Maybe in athletics, you've, you've said things like this. Man, if I would have jumped a second later, I would have got that rebound. Or I would have caught the winning touchdown. I would have caught the pass if I would have jumped just a second later. And maybe you've played out different scenarios like that in your life where, man, you were so close to something and it was, it was so close. And, and you've said this phrase as you've thought about that in your mind. You've said something like this, that could have been me. That, that could have been me in that wreck. That, that could have been me winning that contest. I was so close. That could have been me catching the winning touchdown if I would have jumped just a second later. That could have been me. And you've played that out just like I have in different scenarios in your life. But, but the statement that maybe is more powerful than even that could have been me is when we say this statement, and it's just changing a word, that should have been me. When, when we say something, you know, oh, that could have been me if I would have done this different, if I would have been a little later, that could have been me. But, but there's a little bit more power to the statement, that should have been me. And that statement, that should have been me, brings with it some powerful responses. It might bring with it a response of anger. Hey, I did the work, I put in all the time, and they got the reward. It should have been me. And maybe you've played that out and you felt some anger or some animosity because, man, you did the work, you did the thing, and somebody else got the, the trophy or the money. And that you say, man, that should have been me. Or maybe you felt maybe another thing and, and, and maybe another uh, 
emotion and maybe not anger, but maybe you felt gratitude. And here's what I mean by that. When you, when you maybe have you felt anger because, hey, that should have been me, but, but you've also maybe felt gratitude at some points where you're like, you know what? I did the deal and I didn't get in trouble for it. Somebody else took the blame. And so you've kind of felt some gratitude because, yeah, hey, I was the one that deserved that. It should have been me that got the punishment. It should have been me that, that got the whatever, but I didn't. And so you felt grateful. And maybe you've played that out in your mind. And over the last few weeks and really this, this whole summer, we've been walking through the book of Mark. And as Mark gets to the very end of his account of Jesus' life, and he's, he's coming to the very end, and it's, it's really the end of Jesus' time on earth, he tells us of a scenario where this reality of that should have been me played out in a huge way that honestly has impacted history since that time. Just to, to bring you up to speed, it's, it's late in the week of the week that Jesus is about to go to the cross. And it's, it's Thursday night. And, and we believe he died on Friday. And so Thursday night, Jesus, is, he's just had some dinner with his, his kind of closest guys. We know it as the Last Supper. And after he's had dinner with his closest guys, and, and they've had some time together, they, he asks a few of them to go with him to a garden and, and to pray with him. And so he, he calls th- two or three of them, and they go with him. And, and he's there in the garden, and he's praying. It's, it's late at night, late Thursday night, into Friday morning. And, and while he's there on early Friday morning with his guys, and they've fallen asleep, and they're not praying anymore. They're, they're sleeping, and he's still praying, and he knows what's ahead of him. All of a sudden, a group of religious leaders, soldiers, some, some people have come, and they basically arrest Jesus right in the, right in the garden. They arrest Jesus at night, and, and for the next three, four, five hours, they put him on trial, which was illegal to do at night, and they knew it. But they put him on trial, and they, they, they bring a bunch of false witnesses in to lie about Jesus and to say things that he really never said. And, and to really just, their goal is to get him killed. And so they're doing everything they can to get that taken care of. And so now it's 5 in the morning, between 5 and 6 in the morning. Jesus has been up all night. He's been spit at. He's been lied about. And now basically they've come to the conclusion that they've been wanting to come to that, hey, this guy deserves to die. And so here's what they do. They say, you know what? We're not really allowed to kill people. Like, we're, we're not really allowed to do that. But hey, there's a group of people that are really good at killing people. The Romans. And so all we need to do, we need to take Jesus now and tell him, hey, we, we've found out that he's deserving of death. And we need to manipulate the charges a little bit so we can get the Romans mad at him. And, and the Romans are really good at killing people. So that's what they did. And Mark picks up and he tells us this on, in Mark chapter 15. It says, as soon as it was morning, about five in the morning, having held a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin... The chief priests tied Jesus up, and they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Again, they're handing him over because, man, they got to keep their hands as clean as possible. They're not really even allowed to kill Jesus, but they definitely want him dead. So they're like, let's hand him over to Pilate. And Pilate is an interesting cat. He's the governor of Judea. He's probably in Jerusalem because it's the Passover feast, and he's kind of there to make sure nothing goes too crazy. 
And Pilate being the governor and his role, he, he oversaw the army. He was in charge of the taxes. And he was the guy that would decide if someone should be killed as a punishment for their crime. He, he was kind of in charge of that too. And so he, he's known, if you read about him, he's, pretty, he's a pretty weak leader. And basically what he's trying to do, he's trying to have a drama-free region. He's trying to keep the Jews happy. He's trying to keep the Romans happy. And so he's trying to just keep things as chill as possible. And so they bring Jesus to him and they, they start to manipulate Pilate because they want to see Jesus dead. And here's what Pilate says. It says in verse 2, so Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered, you say so. The Jews, the, the leaders have brought Jesus to Pilate and they're saying, hey man, he is, he said he's the king of the Jews. Because they knew Pilate could care less about their little religious laws. And so all the stuff they said about Jesus and how he broke their religious laws, Pilate could care less about that. But they thought, you know what? If we accuse him of saying he's the king of the Jews, that'll catch Pilate's attention because nobody says they're king when Caesar is king. And so, man, if we can get Pilate to buy into this, we'll get Jesus killed. And so Pilate asked, man, so, so are you? Are you the king of the Jews? And, and it says in verse 3, the chief priest accused him of many things. I mean, they are throwing everything at the wall they can. They're just like, one thing has to stick. We got to get Jesus killed. And so Pilate questioned him again. Aren't you going to answer? Like, look how many things they're accusing you of. I mean, most of the time, accused prisoners are like accused teenagers. Like, remember back when you were a teenager and you, your mom and dad came to you and like, hey, buddy, did you uh, do... As passionately and as, you know, like forcefully as you could, you stated your case. And you were, man, even if you were 100% lying, like you didn't just sit there and take the accusation. Most of the time as a teenager, man, you are putting together your best face. You're putting, I mean, all your, they want to make you a lawyer at the end of it. They're like, you're going to make our family a lot of money because you're good at lying. But Jesus didn't do that. And, and, and Pilate's like, dude. You, they're like accusing you and accusing you, and, he, and you're just sitting there. What's going on? Don't you want to say anything? And it says in verse 5, but Jesus still didn't answer. And Pilate was amazed because Jesus is the only one in this story that isn't trying to manipulate it. He knows why he came. He knows it's going to play out exactly the way God wanted it to. And though I'm sure he's not looking forward to what's coming, he is, knows this is what God wants. This is God's will. And so I'm going to move through it. So Pilate, he's, he faces a dilemma because, again, he's, he's a guy that he's trying to keep everybody happy. And so in his heart, and as you read through this passage and, and the other accounts of the Gospels, you'll realize like Pilate knew he was being manipulated. He knew Jesus was innocent. He, he wasn't like, oh, really? And he wasn't falling for it. But he was facing a dilemma because he wanted to keep these religious leaders, he wanted to keep them happy. And so, man, I, I have this guy, they want me to kill him, but I know he's innocent. And, and I, I've heard there's a lot of people that love him too, but the, these Jewish leaders over here, I got to keep them happy. And I don't want Rome to hear about this because I don't want Caesar getting upset at me because of all this drama. So he has a dilemma. And so here's what he does. He, he, he thinks he has a good plan. It says this, at the festival, which is the Passover festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. 
So on Christmas, you get presents. Valentine's Day, you get chocolate. Passover, you get a prisoner released. Like that was just tradition. You get a prisoner. And so, so he's like, this is perfect. This will work. This is going to work out well. Everybody, I'll be able to save face. I'll be able to blame somebody else. And so Pilate, he, he saw this as a way out of his dilemma. He believed Jesus was innocent. He knew Jesus wasn't deserving of death, but he didn't want to ruffle the feathers of the religious leaders. And so he, he, in his mind, he's thinking, hey, when I, when I put up you know, a prisoner against Jesus and say, hey, which one do you want released? This is going to be easy. Jesus will get released. I'll be done with this. And, and so I don't, I don't know how this actually worked out. I was, obviously wasn't there. But I'm sure as Pilate was sitting there, he's probably thinking, all right, who do we have that is like the worst prisoner? Let me think, like, who's the guy that for sure, if I put him up against Jesus, they're going to choose Jesus every time. Like, who's the biggest scum we have in prison? Like, who's the guy that they would never want back out on the streets? I mean, it'd be like if you're a Giants fan, you're a San Francisco Giants fan, and they're like, you know what? Buster Posey. And, and think of the, your most hated Dodger player, maybe Cody Bellinger. Like, they're going to get into a fight. Who do you want to win? And you're a Giants fan. You're like, well, that's a no-brainer for me, dude. I'm, I'm on Buster Posey's team all the time. Of course I would. And it's kind of like that. He was trying to figure out, like, what's going to be a no-brainer for these people? Like, the easiest decision they've ever made do you want this guy named Barabbas who's a loser, who's been a murderer, a thief? Or this guy, Jesus, who's fed thousands of you. He's healed your mom. I mean, all these great things. And so, man, Pilate, he thinks he's got this thing taken care of. And it says this in verse 7. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. So this guy, a robber, murderer, rebellious. I mean, not a good guy. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was the custom. So somebody was going to die, and somebody was going to be freed, and they wanted the option of, just like you always do, Pilate, it's time for us to choose. So Pilate's probably like, perfect, this is going to play out well. Pilate answered them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. So Jesus, this like perfect, great guy that I know these religious leaders are trying to manipulate me to kill. I see the whole thing. You want me to release him? But the chief priest, it says this, stirred up the crowd so that they would release Barabbas to them instead. And so the, these guys are such good at manipulation. They've, they've literally gone through the crowds and they've stirred up the crowds and they're like, hey guys, $5 for everybody that says release Barabbas. Like, stink, man. And so they all start saying, hey, we want Barabbas. Send us the murderer and the thief. Release him. Pilate asked him, so, so what do you want me to do with, like, the guy that fed you, the guy that healed your mom? That, I mean, what do you want me to do with this guy, this guy that you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted to Pilate's dismay, crucify him. We, we want you to kill him. We want you to murder him. We want the Roman soldiers to crucify him. And, and Pilate, it says, Pilate said to them, why? Like, what has he done wrong? But they, I mean, he tried to, he's like, there's nothing, this guy's a great guy. But 
the crowd was manipulated, and so they shouted all the more, crucify him. And so Pilate, man, he's facing this other huge dilemma again. He's like, I know this guy's innocent. And I know I'm about to release this thug that's just a, he's going to be terrible. You know, and this is a terrible guy. And so he, he looks at Jesus and he has one more idea. And this is not going to be a fun idea, but he's thinking there might be one more way. Maybe if I have Jesus flogged and I, I just beat him up really good, maybe this crowd will just have some compassion and be like, okay, that's enough. Let him go. And so here's what it, what it says. It says, wanting to satisfy the crowd because Pilate was a people pleaser, he released Barabbas. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. His plan didn't work. And, and as you read through that, and if you grew up in church, you've heard about it. And even if you, man, didn't grow up in church, you've seen pictures of Jesus on the cross. And you've seen different people try to make movies about it. And some are, you know, maybe better representations than others. But bottom line, we, we don't really know how bad it was. Like, you can't make a movie about how really bad it was. I mean, you just, they wouldn't show it. Because just this, this part, the, the part that was kind of like, hey, maybe if I just flog him a little bit, that'll, that'll kind of get, get them you know, happy and I'll be able to let Jesus go. Just that part usually killed people. Like, a lot of people didn't even make it past that. They didn't even ever go get crucified because they, they had been through so much in that part of the torture that that was the end of it. Basically, when, when someone was flogged, they were stripped. They were often tied to a post. And they were beaten on the back by several different guards. And they would use this whip that, with this short leather whip. And on the whip, there would be pieces of, of like sharp uh, metal or rock, you know, things that would cut into the skin. And they would just, there was no set amount. Like if you wanted to hit somebody 12 times with it, you could. If you felt like hitting somebody 20 times, 100 times, there was no, like, no set number. So like I said, there was a lot of people that never made it past this. And so Jesus, this innocent man, he's beaten, he's flogged. And then because the, the, the crowd still wanted Jesus to die, he handed him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. See, the punishment that Barabbas had earned was now placed on Jesus. If Barabbas were here today, he would have to admit, he would say the statement, that should have been me. As I was walking away a free man and they were taking Jesus to be flogged and then later taken to be crucified, I should have been the one. That should have been me. After the flogging, Jesus was handed over to be crucified. And, and the Roman soldiers, these guys, man, they were trained to make crucifixion a humiliating, cruel, painful way to die. The Roman writer Cicero, he said it this way. He said, crucifixion is the cruelest and most hideous punishment possible. And so after a few hours, the soldiers, after they flogged him, what they did is they took him and they mocked him. And they, they, they took a, 
a purple robe of some sort and they put it on Jesus and they, they made a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and it says they, they beat him with a stick and they mocked him. Hey, you're the king of the Jews. When they were done, and if you read through the Gospels, basically when they got tired of making fun of Jesus, when they got tired of just beating up on him and they were bored, they moved on. And so they did this for a long time. They spit in his face. Again, this is a humiliating thing. We, when we see it on a movie, it's like, okay, that looks bad. But man, this probably Jesus was totally naked. So super humiliating. And he's just being beaten unmercifully by these extremely strong trained killers that just torture people till they get bored with it. And then they move on to the next thing. And after they're done and they've, they've beaten him, they've spit at him, they've mocked him. Now it's time to, hey, we're bored. Let's move on. They give him a cross and they ask him to carry his own cross to the place where they're going to actually crucify him. He's so exhausted. He can't even carry his own cross. And so they just grab somebody out of the crowd that carries it for him. And then Mark tells us, he picks up the story in verse 22. He says, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. This was a, a drink that they gave people to deaden the pain. And it wasn't to deaden the pain because they had compassion. It wasn't like, hey, we want to help this guy out. It was to deaden the pain so it was easier to nail him to a cross. It wasn't a compassionate offer of this stuff. It was a convenient for them, and Jesus refused it. It says this in verse 24, then they crucified him and they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. See, Jesus had done nothing deserving of death. Even Pilate knew that. Jesus was taking the place of someone else. Someone else should have been on the cross and Jesus was taking their place. After Jesus has been on the cross a little while, it's coming to the end of his life. In verse 34, it says this, And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's in these moments that Jesus, who did not deserve to be on the cross, he did not deserve to be mocked, to be stripped, to be spit at. He has taken the sin of the world on himself. And he's paying the price. He's taking the punishment for sin. And as Jesus, he's at the end of his life. It says in verse 37, Jesus let out a loud cry. And breathed his last. And then a very interesting, and, and whether you grew up in church or not, this next statement is a super important statement that you could skip over real easy if you're not, not listening. And it's, it says this in verse 38, as Jesus took that last breath, it says, then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You're like, we're, we're on this hill and Jesus is getting crucified and now we're talking about drapes like the next phrase is we're talking about curtains and what and basically what 
the writer, what Mark is saying, and we believe Peter is the one that helped get the information to Mark. So it's kind of Mark and Peter are writing this. When Jesus died in the temple where they would worship God, there was this huge veil. There was this huge curtain, very thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where they believed God was and where the normal people could go. And when Jesus breathed his last, it says, from the top of that curtain all the way to the bottom, that thing was ripped in half. And you know what that was symbolizing? That, hey, no longer is there a barrier between you and God. It wasn't ripped from the bottom up. It was ripped from the top down to show, hey, God has done something. God has made a way for you to, you don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through somebody else. You have access to God now because of the death of Jesus Christ and the payment he took. For your sins. He paid for sin, so now you have access to God. What a powerful, powerful thing. I can't imagine being in the temple. Like, you're just doing your thing, and you've kind of heard about Jesus over getting crucified, but all of a sudden you're in the temple, and you're not supposed to go behind the curtain. I mean, that's a really bad thing. You could die by doing that, and all of a sudden you're there, and the curtain just starts to rip. And now you look in to the Holy of like. There's no more barriers. There's no more separation. Something happened that gave me and you access to God, and it had nothing to do with us. And it says this in verse 39, and this is so important. It's just so very interesting. It says in verse 39 that the centurion, so that the centurion was... The Roman officer kind of in charge of the crucifixion. He was the guy that probably oversaw about a hundred soldiers. He had probably seen hundreds, if not thousands of people crucified. It was like, like, I mean, he killed people like we make peanut butter and jelly. It's like, this is just normal, no big deal. Another guy, another death, another crucifixion, no, no problem. But he realized this guy, there's something different about him. This guy's different. This something, something's different about this guy. And, and, and when Jesus took his last breath and the curtain in the temple ripped from top to bottom, it says this, the centurion who was standing opposite of him saw the way he breathed his last. And he said, truly this man was the son of God. This man, this guy that we killed, this guy that we knew was innocent, this man is who he says he was. He is God's son. He came to that conclusion that this Jesus wasn't just another guy. He's God's son. And what's interesting, if you were to read in another parallel gospel, you know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would see that not only did the centurion who was there and was the guy in charge of killing him, he realized that Jesus was who he said he was, but literally one of the guys that was being crucified with Jesus, one of the criminals, there were two criminals on each, there was one on each side of Jesus, and, and one of those guys realized, hey, this Jesus is, is, he, he is who he says he is. Uh, this guy, he doesn't deserve to be there. I should be on the cross. He shouldn't be on the cross. And literally right before this criminal dies, he follows Jesus. 
And so you have these people surrounding the cross that, that as they see Jesus and how Jesus is dying and they know Jesus shouldn't be there, someone else should be. Just the way Jesus even died drew them to want to follow him. So whether you're a person of faith, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here this morning, whether you're a person of faith, maybe you're not, as you consider the cross, here's what I want to encourage you to grapple with this statement. Again, you, you may have grown up in church, and this is like old hat. You've heard this a hundred times. You've heard this so many times it doesn't even affect you, which that's a whole other thing. But maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm, I'm investigating faith, or I'm a little skeptical of the whole Jesus thing. I get it. There's some of the guys like me and some of us have done a really bad job and over the years... So I get it. I get it. But here's the question I would have for you. No matter where you're at, would you just grapple with this statement? The statement that should have been me. I'm not telling you to buy. I'm not even asking you to buy into the whole thing yet. But just would you just grapple with this statement? That the, the betrayal, the beating, the humiliation... And ultimately, the dying on the cross, that should have been me. It shouldn't have been Jesus. And maybe that sounds harsh, or you're thinking, I'm not even sure I buy into this whole thing. I get it. But would you just grapple with the statement, that should have been me. Jesus should not have been the one taking all of that. He didn't deserve it. See, there was a, a guy in Scripture, and you've heard of him whether you grew up in church or not, by the name of Paul. And, and Paul was one of the greatest opposers to Jesus. And then he went from being one of the greatest opposers and, and someone that literally helped kill people that were following Jesus to he became one of Jesus' strongest followers. And he actually spread the message of Jesus in, in a bigger way than anybody else in the early church. I mean, he went, he was on both sides of the fence, opposed, and then he followed Jesus and was actually killed because he was a follower of Jesus. He said this, because he, he understood this. He wrote a book by the name of Romans, and he said this in Romans chapter 3. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is Paul writing. This is Paul who was a religious leader who opposed Jesus, who tried to kill people that, that were followers of Jesus. And then he became a follower of Jesus. And, and Paul says this, and I don't think anybody would agree or disagree with this, for all have sinned. I don't think there's anybody at least that would be bold enough to stand up and be like, nope, I'm the only one that hasn't. Never thought a bad thought, never stolen anything, never mean to my, you know, you don't have to like argue with people about this when they're like, and, and if they don't think they've sinned, their wife's like, yes, you have a lot, buddy. Even this morning for all have sinned. And, and Paul said that he said, man, everybody has disobeyed God. Everybody has broken God's commandments. The nicest person to the meanest person, everybody has sinned. And then he says this later in Romans, in Romans six, he says, the wages of sin is death. So when you think of that word wages, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, you think of one thing, dollars. I mean, when we think of wages, we think of dollars. I remember as a teenager, my, my first real job was I worked at cash and carry. 
And the reason I had to work at Cash and Carry as a bag boy and, and, you know, doing all that stuff, get the carts, all that stuff, was because back then there wasn't cell phones. And back then there wasn't free nights and weekends. And now it's like open. You can call anybody anywhere at any time and it's good. But I, I had a girlfriend who lived in Tennessee and I lived in Florida. I was in 10th grade. And so I didn't understand what long distance was. I didn't understand how much it cost. Until the end of the first month of us being, you know, whatever we were from Tennessee to Florida, my mom came into my room and said, guess what you're about to go get? A job. Because I have a phone bill in my hand and it's very large and you're going to pay for that. So I did. I got a job. I worked at Cash and Carry. I was basically, I worked there so I could call this girl, which makes me mad now. But I basically just handed my paychecks over to my mom every week. But bottom line, and you had a first job too. You remember, man, you, you worked, you were so excited. I don't remember what I made, probably like $4 an hour back then. But man, at the end of the week, I would go up to the front desk. This is like before direct deposit. Miss Nancy would be at the desk and I'd be like, hey, can I get my paycheck? She'd open up a drawer, find Chris Finch and pull it out, hand it to me. I'd open it because I just wanted to look at it before I gave it to my mom. And I say, okay, well, I made this. I, I worked this hard. I did these hours. And because I worked, I earned this. That's what this verse says. Paul was saying, hey, the wages of sin, what we have earned for our sin. And Paul understood. He, he, was, he was a guy that understood sin. He said, what I have earned for my sin, I have earned physical death and I've earned spiritual death. What, that's what I'm owed because of my sin. But then he says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. He says, but hey, I, I know I've sinned and we've all sinned and the wages, what I've earned for my sin is death, physical death, spiritual death. That's what God owes me. But it says that God proved his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, I deserved death. I deserved physical and spiritual death. That's what I earned. But because God loved me so much, he sent Jesus to take my place and your place. To take my sin and give me his righteousness. To take my enslavement and give me his freedom. He took what I deserved and it should have been me. And Paul understood that. Paul considered, as he considered the cross, he believed deeply that it should have been me. And for Paul, honestly, he never got over that. He never got over the fact that I should have been the one. And that's why he gave his whole life to telling people that message. See, he was right. He was right. He was right that it should have been me. He believed it and, and he was right. And the reason it wasn't him and the reason it wasn't me has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. It's not like we can say, and I, and I know like Christians are, man, sometimes the worst at compete and they like want to be the whatever, like blue ribbon Christian or the red ribbon. It's like this earning stuff. It's, it's, I don't think God loves this. But Paul's like, Jesus died, not because it was, I was like going to be helpful to be on his team. It wasn't like Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit were in heaven like, you know what? We need a few of those guys on our team. Have you seen his jump shot? 
you know what? We got to do something to get these guys on our team. I don't know if we're going to make it against Satan if we don't have a few of those guys, especially those guys at City Walk, killing it. Yeah, so, hey, Jesus, you, you drew the short straw, so you, you good? You go down 33 years or so, do the thing, and die, and all that, and we're good? Yeah, I'll do it. I got it, Dad. No, it wasn't that he was like, oh, man, I can't wait to get them on our team. It was because, man, he loved us so much, and we deserved death. We deserved hell. That's what we had earned, but he loved us so much, he came. He took our punishment, and he said, you know what? Even though it should have been you, I'm going to make it me. And see, over the last 2,000 years, instead of a broken relationship with God and taking punishment for our sin, Jesus has been offering an intimate relationship with God and an eternity in heaven with him because he took our place. And so, man, it's been a couple thousand years since this happened. And people of different cultures, different belief systems, different backgrounds have come face to face with this truth and have had to choose a response. And, and some have rejected, said, you know what? I'm good. I don't buy it. But a lot of people over the last 2,000 years have leaned in. And said, I get it. it. It should have been me. I'm the one that sinned. I'm the one that disobeyed. It should have been me. But Jesus took my place. And so I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to trade my sin for his righteousness. I want to trade my hell for his heaven. I want to trade my enslavement for his freedom. And Jesus offers that. Which leads us to this morning, and it really leads us to the, the question, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, it leads us to just a, a point of response. And, and what's interesting about this, every person's response has to be individual to them. You, you don't get, just because your dad and mom had one response, that doesn't like get you in or get you out. Like if your dad was a, a jerk, it doesn't mean that you're out too. Or if your dad was like the, the nicest guy and your mom, they, like they did all the stuff, it, it doesn't make you all good because they were. It's everybody has to make their own response. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you'd say, hey, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus yet. I'm, for whatever reason, I've just chosen not to do that. Maybe you're a little skeptical of this whole thing. Maybe could your response be just to embrace it? Like what if you embraced it? Like, what if you embraced this idea that it should have been you, and you just believed that when Jesus came, when he died on the cross, we're going to talk about him rising from the dead next week, that he did that for you. You're like, Chris, but man, there's some stuff in Genesis with that whole flood thing. I don't know about all that. And the seven-day creation, I'm still working through all that. I, I mean, can I embrace Jesus without having all the answers for all the other stuff? Absolutely. Embrace him. Maybe you're here and you're watching online or you're here and you're saying, hey, Chris, there's been a time in my life when I have become a follower of Jesus. There was a time in my life when I, I did embrace that idea that, man, that should have been me, but I'm so thankful that Jesus took my place. And for you, your response would be, again, to just embrace it. And that when you embrace it, it should make you grateful. 
It should, like you, we should wake up every day and think, that should have been me. But it wasn't. And it should just bring in our hearts just this response of gratefulness. I mean, our, our world, especially right now, needs hope. It needs to know that, man, beyond all the craziness in our world, that there's something bigger. There's hope available. And for if you're a follower of Jesus and, is, and you've kind of become callous to this idea that Jesus took your place and you kind of take that for granted, then it's pretty easy to walk through life kind of cynical and not grateful. But if you wake up every day the way Paul did and, and Paul never forgot and never lost touch with this idea that, man, I should have been the one, but Jesus took my place. It changed his life. It allowed him to sit in a prison with a bloody back and still say, thanks be to God. And to have a contentment and a gratefulness because it should have been me. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you're here and you're a person that says, you know what, Chris, I've I've been around church a little bit. I'm maybe I'm obviously here today, or I'm watching online, and I've, I'm a little bit intrigued by the whole Jesus thing. Maybe you've been hurt by the church before, and if you have, I'm sorry, and I, I know that's happened to a lot of people. But if you were to just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you were to set aside all the maybe that baggage for just a second, and just look at this idea that Jesus took your place, that it should have been you. It should have been you. It should have been me. Would you be at a place in your life right now where you would say, hey, Chris, I want to embrace that. I've been skeptical, but man, I'm, I'm ready to embrace the idea that Jesus took my place. I want to embrace that. I want to believe. I want to follow Jesus. I, don't, I still have a lot of questions, but man, I know that to be true, and I, I want to embrace it. If you're here this morning or you're, you're watching online and that's you, you'd say, Chris, how do I do that? It's real simple. Just right where you're at, whether you're watching from your living room or you're here this morning, just, just in the quietness of your heart, would you be willing to just tell God, hey, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I agree, God, I have sinned. I've disobeyed you. Just tell him. Just right now in your heart. And then just, just tell him, maybe in your own words, God, I, I know I've sinned, but I believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave and took my place. He took my punishment. I believe that. Just tell God right now. And then just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching, just just give Jesus an invitation. Just say, Jesus, I, I want to start a relationship with you. Just come into my life. Save me now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you made that decision and you prayed in your heart to God, whether you're watching online or you're here, we'd love to know about that. If you're here, you can just take the decision card that's right in front of you. You can fill that out and on your way out, put it in the offering basket or at next steps table. If you're watching online, you just go to citywalk.cc and you'll find a decision card right there for you.
We just want to know about it, want to encourage you in your faith. Maybe you're here and you'd say, hey, Chris, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been following him for a long time. But maybe you found yourself a little bit cynical lately. Maybe today you would just allow God to freshly remind you that Jesus took your place. That it should have been you. should have been me. And what would my life look like if I were to walk out here and to walk into each day this week grateful because Jesus took my place? That could change everything. God, I pray that you would help us as individuals and as a gathering never forget that you took our place. And Lord, may that reality change how we live, change how we think, change our priorities, and may we be people of hope and peace in our city. In Jesus' name, amen.